Well, good morning, church. Um, welcome to the first part of a series called Heavenly Homes. Uh, and it's, it's actually a funny story and kind of ironic um, this, that we're doing this right now while we're in quarantine. Uh, when I was um, coming up with this sermon series, I didn't think that we'd actually um, be listening to it from our homes. And so um, that's kind of cool. But it was actually, it was um, back in January, around early January, maybe late December, when Mike came and talked to me and said, hey, I'm going to be um, out of town for a couple Sundays and was wondering if you would put together, help me put together a series uh, that we could do for a couple weeks. And I was like, sure. And, and so Sammy and I at that point, um, we've been fascinated with this um, minimalist movement that's been going on for the last couple years. Um, you might have seen um, like the hit Netflix show with Marie Kondo uh, where she's, you know, uh, all about decluttering homes and minimalizing everything. And um, you, we wanted to do some of that stuff, but not quite on the extreme level of it, you know, where you see people um, moving into like tiny houses or anything like that. Um, we just wanted to be able to declutter our home um, and maybe free up some space in our house. And so for Christmas, I, I got Sammy uh, this book uh, called The Minimalist Home, um, by Joshua Becker, and the reason I picked it was because it had a room-by-room -room guide on how to help declutter your house, and I thought, you know, that'd be cool. Um, Christmas is always a time where we always get all this new stuff, and our house gets super cluttered, and it's a mess, and so I thought, you know what? We can get new stuff, and then we'll declutter a house, and it'll be cleaner, and we'll feel better, um, and so I got her this book, and so as we were um, reading this book, we noticed something uh, kind of weird about it. The author's intent wasn't merely to have a tidier home, um, but that when he was going through this process himself, he found life-enriching practices were gained out of it. Uh, and although he never talks about God, as we read, it was, it was becoming clearer and clearer uh, that this author was actually a Christian. And so I went on to Google naturally, and, uh, and lo and behold, uh, the author's from Aberdeen, South Dakota. He got his undergrad from UNO. Uh, and then he went to Bethel College uh, for a master's in theology. And so Sammy and I didn't just get rational ideas of why we should declutter our home, but we got biblical principles that encouraged us to do it. And so in early January, as I was putting this together, uh, it became my inspiration, this book became my inspiration for this series um, of uh, what it would look like for us to come together and, and clean out our houses and to see what it would be like uh, to use our homes for the kingdom of God if we found a, a good purpose and how God could use our homes. And so not knowing that we would actually be stuck in our homes, um, but God's timing and wisdom is far beyond my own, and so I'll give him credit where credit's due. And so this week, we're going to be talking about how to find contentment. Finding contentment, because we can't declutter our homes and find their purpose if all we're going to do is fill them back up with stuff. And so starting the conversation of what is the purpose of our home, it's more likely the largest investment we will ever have in our life, and it's going to go to waste if we aren't using it for kingdom work. So with all that being said, let's, let's go to the Bible. 
So if you would, open with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to learn a little bit about contentment. So uh, once again, the book of Philippians will be chapter 4, and I'm going to be starting in verse 10. I'll give you a little bit to flip there. Uh, Philippians 4, chapter 10, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 10. Um, Just to set this up, so this is going to be Paul talking, and Paul um, is in this terrible situation, which we'll get to, um, and so it's him talking about that. And so it says there in verse uh, 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, in every, in every situation, and I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The context um, that I was alluding to a little bit ago was that Paul is writing this from prison, which means that he barely has what he needs to survive. You know, they're giving him bare minimum. Um, and so it's, you know, he wants, you know, he's fighting this need, this urge to want more. But what he says is that I am content. And what we know from previous um, chapters about Paul's life is that Paul is, was a dude before all this, before becoming a Christian, who was probably rather well off. And so he knew what it was, like he said, to have enough. And so what he's saying is, in my life I have learned to have contentment, but that didn't come from anything that I could do. It came from God. And this, this idea of what he's talking about, uh, of um, finding contentment, is really fighting the urge to want more which, as we know, is, is almost a basic part of human nature. Um, if we look through the Bible, that's what we see. Uh, what, you know, when you look at Adam and Eve, what got them in trouble? They wanted more. What did Cain want? He wanted more. Jacob wanted more. Joseph's brothers wanted more. David wanted more. Solomon wanted more. Actually, the reason that Jesus was betrayed was because Judas wanted more. This is nothing new to our world, and it's actually probably one of the prime motivators throughout history. But what Paul tells us here is that as a person, he did not contain the strength to curb the desire for more, but only from the strength he gained from God was he able to find contentment in all situations, both good and bad. So today... Advertisers know that we have this intense desire for more, 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 more. And they play that against us. So here, here I'll show you some stats about this to, put this to help put this in perspective. The United States has over 50,000 storage facilities. This is more than the amount of Starbucks, McDonald's, and Subways combined. Americans spend 1.2 trillion on non-essential goods every year. This is why we end up with TV shows like Hoarding, Buried or Alive. Or one of my favorite shows, American Pickers, where you see people with barns and buildings stuffed to the ceilings with things. And the thing about these shows is we probably all know somebody like that or maybe we're getting there ourselves. 
So how do we find contentment, and what does that look like? Does that mean getting rid of everything we own and not buying anything ever again? Well, of course not. But as with anything, when it comes between us and our relationship with God, it's time to stop and acknowledge there's an issue. So let me ask some pointed questions to figure out how you're doing when it comes to amassing possessions. Okay, here's the first one. Is cleaning a pain because you don't have somewhere to place everything? Does cleaning become a pain because you just hold something in your hands and you're like, I have no idea where to put this because I have nowhere to put this. How about your flat spaces? Tables, counters, um, end tables? Are they constantly covered with things or are you able to use them when you need them because they're cleared off? This is a good one. Have you ever told someone no to coming over to your house because you were embarrassed by the clutter in your home? One more. Uh, are the storage areas of your home organized or are they jumbled and packed full? The reason this all becomes an issue is because it prevents us from living out the purpose of our home. And that's a big question to answer. What is the purpose of my home? And although I think it's okay to think about um, what you want to accomplish with it, I think a bigger and more important question to ask is what does God want to accomplish with your home? When we find contentment through our strength from God, we are able to declutter our home and it opens up the possibilities of what God can do with it. If you want to start turning to Luke 14, we're going to look at a parable here. Um, Jesus is telling this parable um, about humility. You see, in ancient times at banquets, you could tell the social status of a person by where they sat at a banquet. And so Jesus is repeating the wisdom from a proverb and saying, don't go into a banquet and take the best seat. Because what's going to happen is, is someone more important might come in and it's going to be really embarrassing when you get demoted because they're going to take your seat. But in instead, to humble yourself and take the lowest seat because it's better uh, to humble yourself and then be exalted than to try and exalt yourself and then be humbled. But it's this next little section after this, uh, the end of this parable that I want to look at. So in Luke 14, starting in verse 12, says, Then Jesus said to the, his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so even today, what we recognize about this is that it's countercultural wisdom. How often do we see someone invite the outcasts of society into their home for a meal? No, we invite people who we are the closest with, fan, friends, family, the people that we probably worry the least about. And as we've talked about Sundays, on Sundays before, um, this is something that we see Jesus do all the time. He flips cultural norms on their head and makes people uncomfortable in the process. 
because it forces them to get out of their comfort zone and to actually think about what God desires of them. The reason Jesus is encouraging us to invite these people is because in this time, you usually invited two types of people over for dinner. Either someone of a higher status who by inviting them over could then raise your status because other people are going to see you and be like, oh, hey, they're hanging out with these types of people. Or someone of a slightly lower status who would praise you and then could be re- still repay you, though. Right? Not so low that they couldn't return the favor in inviting you over sometime. And thinking of that, when I heard about that, when I was reading this, it reminds me of um, high school. You know, status and popularity tend to be an important uh, topic, right? And if you're trying to be popular, you're probably not going to invite the kid who sits over by himself over to your table to come eat with you. Right? No, you want to be more popular, so you're going to try and get the more popular kids to come sit by you. That's why you're trying to get the quarterback of the football team to come. Or what you're trying to do is um, get some, um, some students who um, maybe aren't super uncool, but just a little bit, and so they can come and think you're cool. And then other people say, oh, hey, look, these people think he's cool, and maybe he is. That's what this reminds me of. But that's not what Jesus is saying to do. Jesus is saying, instead of inviting someone who can return the favor for you, how about actually sacrificing to give to someone who can't return the favor? And it's actually, when, when I read this, it's funny. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't even actually have a home. Uh, he, uh, the Bible actually tells us he didn't even have a place to lay his, t- his head down at night. Um, But what we see is Jesus has a deep understanding of hospitality and what God desires from hospitality. And so looking at at the blessing during a hard time, we are perfectly situated right now, church, um, being stuck in our homes to figure out what the purpose of them should be. Sammy and I have been working on this uh, since Christmas time. And here are a couple things that we kind of decided um, what we think a good um, purpose, some good purposes of our home should be. You know, we want our home to be well-suited for the normal things a home should be. A place for rest and recharge, a place to raise our daughter well, and a place to enjoy time together as a family. You know, those normal things that you would see people using their home for, we still have a desire for that to be our home. Now, another part of it is with me as a youth pastor, is we want our home to be a place where some students, where our students feel safe, where they can come if they need help or if they just want to hang out or if they just want someone to talk to, that our home can be a safe place that they can come and find what they need. And the last part is probably the hardest part and something we're still working on, and that's opening it up to our neighbors as well, finding opportunities to welcome them into our home, to have a meal Uh, to play a board game, you know, just enjoy time of fellowship, uh, to get to know each other better, uh, and to continue to um, love with each other and to love our neighbors. Now, Sammy and I, we're both introverts, and so this can actually be hard for us, um, because as introverts, our home is like our fortress of solitude. It's the place where we go to get away from the world, you know, literally, that's why um, we're in a shelter-at-home, you know, situation right now is because it's our place to get away. And so it can be hard to open that up because we want to conceal it for ourselves. 
But something that Sammy and I recognize is that our home is not our own. There are so many places in Scripture that points this, that points this out to us. One of them is Deuteronomy 10.14. It says, To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth, and everything in it. God is the creator of all, and therefore he is the owner of all. Because of that, I'm sorry, if you've already paid off your mortgage, you're still just a renter, a rent-free renter, but still a renter. We are stewards of what God has given us the responsibility of, and our homes are included in that. God wants us to accomplish amazing things for his kingdom through you and through your home. Well, the question is, it's, it's, it's our job to figure out what our family and our home is best suited for accomplishing through God. And people have done amazing things from their homes. The first churches that were ever started started off in homes. Even today in the U.S., some of the largest churches that we have started off in someone's home. Uh, in our technological age, people have accomplished so many things from their home as, as their base of operations. Um, people have started nonprofits in their homes, um, feeding the homeless, uh, providing clothes for the homeless, um, providing places for foster kids, or providing ways to um, help kids in the foster care system, all from their home. And on an equally important scale, but maybe a little bit smaller, People have welcomed widows over for a meal. Uh, they have made their home a safe place for their children's friends to come over and play. Maybe it's something as simple as hosting a small group for your church in your home. One way I was impacted by someone opening up their home was when I was in college. I had gotten an internship at a church in Council Bluffs, and it was a full-time internship, and so I needed to find somewhere in Council Bluffs to live. Well, they were, the church was having a hard time finding um, a family for me to stay with, and so um, one day I was at um, some street hockey games. The, the student ministry ran a league um, in the springtime for the elementary age kids, um, and I was staying there talking to a guy I worked with about how they still hadn't found me a home yet, and, and one of the high school students who was helping us out was like, hey, you should just come live with us. And I kind of just brush it off. I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool, you know, realizing, like, oh, he's a high school student and has no control over who comes and stays in his home. But the hockey games got over, um, and this guy's dad came to pick him up, and the dad came up to me and was like, hey, I hear you need a place to live. We have an extra room if you want to come live with us. And it kind of just took me off guard because, like, he didn't know me. They didn't know me other than what maybe what their son had to say. But here he was, opening up his home. And so the next week, I had lunch with their family to set up some of the details of it. And for the next year, I basically became this family's adopted son. They housed me. They fed me. They even gave me a Christmas gift. They loved and helped Sammy as well. And after we had gotten engaged, uh, they even opened up their home to throw us a wedding shower. To this day, we are close with this family and could not be more thankful 
for the blessing that it was to be able to live with them for that year. So what can we accomplish with our homes can vary greatly, especially depending on what your family is specifically suited to be able to do. So let's put some of this in practical knowledge, things that can actually help us succeed in using our home for more effectively for God. To start, we have to become more content. Just like we started off in this sermon about finding contentment, we have to be able to do that. And so how do we do that? Well, like we talked about with Paul, it doesn't come through anything that we can do. But from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. That's talking about contentment. I can be content and curb this desire for more because God helps me do that and because I have a priority in God. And when God is our priority, it helps when us see when other things are not. So I want to encourage you to begin praying that God can help you balance the priorities in your life and help you find contentment. That the Holy Spirit maybe will convict you when you go to buy something that you don't really need. Or that it will help you calm the urge to continually be stuffing your home with more things. Because we can't really use our home if we just pack it full of stuff. And so once we begin to become more content in what we have, we can really start um, to cut some of that clutter out of our homes so it can be used more effectively. Maybe you are a family who keeps a tidy home already, and that's fantastic. And I hope you guys will continue to work towards finding a purpose for your home and what you can do with it. But maybe not. Maybe you got some work to do. Maybe you know some areas where it's like, ooh, I think this could, be, this could use a purge. Um, and so maybe here, here's some things that might help with that. And these come from this, the minimalist book. These are some ideas that they gave us um, to help with us. So number one, everything you own should have its own place in your house. That way, if you pick something up and you say, I don't have a place for this, either it needs to go or something else needs to go so that thing can have a place. What this does, and the reason we do this, is because it drastically cuts down the cleaning time it takes um, to get through your house. I know, you know, like, for me, um, it took a while. We, when we moved, it took me a while to figure out, like, where things go in our home, so I'm, I was constantly asking Sammy, hey, where does this go? How about this? Where, I'm confused. Where do these things go? Um, but once I got that down, right, and then it makes cleaning easy because it's like, oh, this goes here, this goes here. And the cleaning time, and as we decluttered our home, we found that it was so much easier to keep our house clean, which has been a huge joy to not be spending hours of our day um, trying to do that. The next thing is if, if you have flat surfaces, try to keep them cleared off. And the purpose for this is because they have intention. A table should be used for uh, enjoying meals together or doing a puzzle or doing board games, um, something with fellowship around it, not something to just gather la laundry on top of, which I'm totally guilty of, so no hard feelings. Uh, something else that might help. If you do buy new things, Maybe consider tr using it as a trade instead of an addition. Meaning, when you buy something, see if you can get rid of something else. For me, 
I have to do this with my t-shirts. I don't know about you guys, for whatever reason, I have tons and tons of t-shirts. Um, at one point, I ended up with like two and a half drawers full of t-shirts. And so I, you know, when we were going through this process, I went through and I weeded out a bunch of them and I got down to one drawer. And I have had to tell myself, okay, if I get a new t-shirt, an old one's going away because I don't need more than one drawer full of t-shirts. Something else that I had to make this hard decision with um, was with hobbies. I, I'm a person who loves to pick up new hobbies and do new things and learn new things. And because of that, whenever I picked up a new hobby, I need new supplies, um, the next thing for this, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm gathering, you know, our house is filling up with um, golf and disc golf and um, all these board games and all these different things that I'm trying to learn and, and it's taking up all this space and so I finally said, you know, I can't do that because I don't have enough time to dedicate to all these anyway. And so I was like, I can focus on two. I need to focus on two hobbies. And so I picked out two and the, the things I had for the other hobbies, uh, they're in a pile for a garage sale. And so um, this has not only helped save space, it's also saved us money. But what's important about all of this is that this isn't just something that I want one person in your family to be a part of. But for it to be the most effective, it should be a family-wide effort. Something I r I'm realizing now having an 11-month-old is that our house has been taken over by her toys and things as well. For you parents who have multiple kids, I'm praying for you. I, I can't imagine how much stuff you have in your house because of all that. But contentment isn't just for us. But contentment is an extremely important thing for our kids to learn as well. And so our world is only going to become more materialistic. And so the earlier we start with them, the better. So Sammy and I, we've started rotating out Magnolia's toys already which is easy right now because she doesn't really notice. And as much as she's growing, we have to ro be rotating things out anyway. But this is something that we hope to continue as she gets older. And hopefully this will be something someday that she grows to value and understand that possessions aren't the most important thing in our life. And so the last thing I want to talk about is just some advice when it comes to finding the purpose of your home, right? Because that's the whole point of this series. And this is the question that I want you to be contemplating over the next four weeks. What should the purpose of our home be? To answer it, you have to figure out what God has designed your family to be able to accomplish. We talked just a little bit ago about um, this can completely look different for every family. Here at the church, um, we have a mission and a vision. And what this does is it helps us accomplish what we want with the resources we have. So the mission of our church is, if you haven't heard us say this before, is to help people find and follow Jesus. And our vision for that is to create Christ-like community one neighbor at a time. This informs and influences everything we do as a church. It helps us focus and keep looking excitedly at the future. So what would it look like for all of our communities we are a part of to be Christ-like? 
How would, the, how would that change the people's lives around us? These are the things that we get to look forward to because we have this mission and this vision. It keeps us excited and it keeps us on point and on mission. And so as you and your family process, what's the purpose of your home? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be coming up with your own mission for your family slash home. A short statement that outlines what your family wants to do for God's kingdom. It will serve the same purpose that the mission statement of the church serves. It's to help you as a family focus and look excitedly ahead to what God wants to do through you. Again, I don't want this to be something that only one person is participating in, but something for your whole family to work on together. Because it's going to take your whole family to accomplish this mission. And so as a family, spend some time in prayer seeking God's wisdom and asking him what this, might, this mission might be. Something else that might help is to find a verse or a passage of scripture to model your family mission off of. Sammy and I are still working on the, the wording of, our, of the mission of our family, of our home, but we did pick a couple verses out to go with it. And so in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, here is what we are designing the mission of our home off of. And those verses say, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Church, I am so excited for the rest of this series and, and um, just the fact that we get to be able to do this from our homes and to look at it and say, what can God do with our home? What can God do with our family? It's so exciting and I, I look forward to, to seeing what you guys start to come up with for a mission statement of your family. And so I hope you guys have a fantastic week and if you would, would you bow with me in prayer as we end today? Dear God, I thank you so much for um, the blessing that our home serves. That you have given us this shelter. And gosh, it's so amazing. And we just, we don't want to be passive about it. We want to be actively using it because we want to be good stewards of what you have given us, God. And so help us see what it is you want to accomplish through our families. What it is that you want to accomplish through the homes that we have whether it's something, um, you know, like starting a nonprofit, or whether it's something as simple as inviting a widow over for a meal or our neighbors over for a meal. God, we want to do, even in this time, we want to find ways to do kingdom work for you, to continue to, um, to love you and to love those around us and to show them who you are. But God, just again, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.